Yeah? Okay, a couple of you doing good? Front row's awesome. How about the back? How you guys doing back there? Good? How many are excited about fasting? Don't lie. <laughs> Don't lie. If, I, if there's one thing I cannot stand, it's fasting. God, give me grace. God, give me grace. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. We need some more honest people in the church. Amen? Uh, well, my name is Daryl Temple. I'm wearing multiple hats today, of which I thoroughly enjoy. Thank you, worship team, for letting me uh, crash the party up there and act like a fool. Um, but I also get to bring you the word uh, this morning, and I uh, hope you're excited about that. Uh, we just concluded a um, series. How many enjoyed love, sex, and everything in between? Okay, a couple of you. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was a great series, but, you know, we can't continue it any longer because it's Lent. You know, we're going to talk about fasting, more holier things. So we need to pull out of those natural things and get our minds to more holier matters. Amen? Well, um, I'm going to be talking about fasting. Um, I have Grace with me this morning. It's been a busy week, man. We have, um, actually, last month just seemed to be one thing after the other, another. We launched uh, the live stream. Uh, that took a lot of work. We um, were getting ready to move J-Hop. That took a lot of work. And, well, today we've started a second service. It almost feels like starting over, really, when you start a second service. Um, so we're hoping by the grace of God that the Lord will bless um, our efforts to bring the gospel to more people. So you can be praying for us. Also, just be praying for our team because it's going to require a lot more from people to serve uh, those uh, services now that we have two. Um, I'm going to get right into the word, but before we do, let's pray. we got probably a half an hour, maybe 40 minutes to land this ship. Um, if I don't do a good job, I promise you most likely second service will be better. Uh, so, you know, if you want to stick around and, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, I always look at like, um, first service is like the trial run, you know, <laughs> like it's just like, it's rehearsal. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, what is the pastor talking like this for? I'm just kidding. Um, but hopefully by the grace of God, we'll navigate and, um, be able to land on some pretty powerful truths that I hope will inspire you this morning. Father, we thank you. Um, for the opportunity to be together and to gather now around your word. And Jesus, I, I need your Holy Spirit. I, I, I cannot do this in my own strength, Lord. I need you to come upon my mouth, Lord, and give me the words from heaven, Lord, that might deepen people's affections for Christ this morning in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many know that having a friend in your life is a good thing, amen? Not just any friend, a good friend, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure we can quickly amen that. You know, I'm sure we all have acquaintances and friends in our lives. But man, what I'm trying to kind of, I want to kind of get out there this morning is like a good friend. I want, I want, you know, somebody that can tell you like your breath stinks, like when it stinks, you know what I'm saying? Somebody tell you, I, I remember... Um, it was the Sunday before we were going to launch uh, the live stream, and I wore, I guess, a gray sweater. And, um, you know, we're going to launch the following Sunday uh, uh, the live stream, and, and, and Will lovingly um, drugged me into the media room and, and said, hey, you know, I was noticing the sweater you were wearing. I, I don't know if that color works for you. I mean, we're gonna, this thing is going live next Sunday. You might want to think like more like dark colors than that light gray. It's good to have friends like that. I mean, ultimately, what we say is, Daryl, you look chubby in that shirt. <laughs> you know, it's like the friend who, um, oh, this is a great story. Just a couple of weeks ago, I like to tell stories. Uh, Jesus likes to tell stories, so I, I kind of just follow his footsteps. But uh, I, I like to tell funny stories. But um, I don't know if Jesus did too many of those. But anyways, um, 
that's where we differ. Um, <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago, I was out with my wife, and we're having dinner with some close friends, and we're just enjoying, you know, and uh, I'm just ranting and loving the time, and sat a little bit after dinner, we're about ready to have dessert. And I don't, if you're married here, you can probably relate to this immediately. Under the table, I felt my wife's, like, knee started, like, bumping into my, like, like my, my thigh. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, and uh, so I'm looking at her, I'm like, what are you doing? And, you know, I'm kind of like, I just wear everything out there on my sleeve. So I'm looking, like, the conversation's just rolling. And I'm giving my wife an awkward look, like, what are you doing? You're trying to, like, come on to me or something. What's going on? And um, so she starts poking around her face, and she's like, you know, she's, she's like, scraping at her teeth. I'm like, what the heck? Apparently, I had a, a large piece of pepper, like, stuck in my teeth of them having a good time and it was just okay oh, jokes gone wild uh, oh how about when it, you know you blow your nose right and, and, and you don't wipe it with the handkerchief or the napkin good enough you know and like there's just a little there's like this little matter that's either hanging down or especially when it's cold it, 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 like if, if it's cold outside and you do this and, and you don't wipe good like the whole just well we won't give it a word we won't give it a name this morning just to not gross you out, but that, that thing just like sticks and just like freezes. But I, I, and I'll just tell you, I don't know what kind of friend to be in that moment. i to be honest. I've had a couple of those moments. And I, I don't know if I should be the kind of friend that, you know, says, hey, bro, by the way, um, you might, you got something. Yeah, you might want to take that to the bathroom or something. You might want to look in the mirror. But we all need good friends in our life, don't we? We need friends that will tell us the truth, no matter what the cost um, and I'm grateful, even though we're having funny with, uh, a fun time with it this morning, I'm, I'm grateful for friends that can be truthful with me. Um, you know, I kind of want to tie uh, that imagery, if you would, into my sermon this morning. Because I, I believe Lent, this season that we end, serves as a good friend to the church. Um, Again, I, I started off with saying that I am not a fan of fasting. I mean, and, and most people that tell me they like fasting, I kind of just don't believe them right out the door. I'm like, yeah, you're lying or just you're, you don't have a good self-awareness, you know, about, you know. And, and, and if you're here and that's you and you enjoy fasting, then kudos to you. Um, but I'm grateful for Lent because, well, Lent kind of that doesn't force me to do something that I should do kind of habitually, I think, a lifestyle of fasting, but it actually leads me. And of course, God forces us to do nothing, and so the aspect of actually voluntarily giving myself over to fasting in the season of Lent is actually a good thing. I find Lent to be a great friend, even though I may not really privy the thought of fasting. If you would, turn with me to Joel chapter 2, and we're going to try to suss this out a little bit. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Am I supposed to just completely slow down? Like, or is that like, okay, good. Um, the jokes, I heard my jokes are kind of hard to translate. So, sorry. <laughs> People with the ears are just like, what is he doing? Like, this is, good. This is coming out like Spanish. Um, but turn with me to Joel chapter 12, uh, 2, verse 12. Now, this is a passage of scripture, of course, I don't think is a stranger to this community. Um, but here is the prophet Joel in verse 12 of chapter 2 saying this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. I have one more story I'd like to share as we get to the heart of my sermon this morning. My son Abram has developed a rather interesting um, set of behaviors as he uh, is now 10 going on 20. Pray for me. Um, actually, my wife and my son are home. He's nursing like 104.2 uh, 
fever, and so she's trying to get him back to good standing. His grandmother came over uh, after spending uh, about a month in the Caribbean, and she brought um, the coronavirus back, evidently. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't. (laughs) I know. That might be a little too heavy of a joke this morning. Um, (laughs) I shouldn't joke. Okay, but uh, yeah. Uh, No, it's just the flu. She had it looked at, and it's just a flu. Well, she, she imparted it. She lovingly passed it on to my son, and so they're home. But he's developed a, 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 a rather interesting behavior. Um, my son likes to watch television every night of every day. Um, so let me, let me just break this down a little bit. Um, so right around 5 p.m., uh, without fail, my son will either come to me or Bethany and say, hey, like, what are we watching tonight? He almost says it in a way like we should just count on it, you know, like when your child does that, like, hey, can, you know, they just kind of, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, I guess, as a dad. They almost say, like, this should be, this should be expected, you know? And so he comes to us without fail and says, hey, like, what are we going to watch uh, for, for a movie tonight? Um, it was about maybe three months ago that uh, The Flash came out on Netflix. I, you know, I love Netflix, but man, when, when you get, like, multiple uh, series and episodes that you can just binge watch, it's a dangerous thing. How many can, you, you just, like, you get, like, three seasons, you know, of one show. It's like The Office, you know. How many binge watch The Office? You're just like, this thing goes on forever. This is glorious. Well, my son's in a bit of a phase. And every night he asks us to watch a movie. And, um, you know, we've, uh, this has been happening for probably about three months. And we're trying to lovingly kind of, you know, as parents be like, hey, you know, bud, this is like, we, we don't need to be doing this every night. You know, we don't, you know, we, there's other things we should sit around the dinner table, maybe pray a little bit, you know, like let's, let's forego. But, but, but here, here's why I love Lent. Because my wife lovingly says, uh, as we're together for our devotions in the morning, you know, Abram, there's this thing called Lent. <laughs> and uh, for Lent, we're going to be giving some things up. And, and, and Daddy and I feel like entertainment might be getting a little out of control. So therefore, we are going to fast television. And I'm just like, that is brilliant, honey. So in a way, Lent serves as a, 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 as a practice of intervention in our life. It kind of just comes upon that yearly cycle, that, that month when you're just like, hey, for 40 days... I'm going to give something up and gain something great in God. And so I love Lent. And I opened with Joel chapter uh, 2, verse 12, because in a way, the prophet Joel calls Israel to a fast. He calls them to a fast. Now, I just want to start off by saying that I love a good show. I'm not trying to down television this morning. Um, I, like anybody, like a great show or a great movie. I love to be entertained. But when my appetite for entertainment replaces my appetite and hunger for God, then it quickly can become idolatry. Now, this was the problem with Israel in Joel chapter 2. Hence, this is why Joel the prophet is calling. Now, they, they didn't have televisions, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But they were propping up for themselves idols. They were half-hearted in their devotion and covenant with the Lord. And now the prophet Joel, of whom we do not know a lot about, steps on the stage as the mouthpiece for God and declares a fast for the people of Israel. Not much is known about the form or the kind of idolatry. 
that was in Israel at the day. All as we know is that in Joel chapter 2, 27, you can turn there if you're open to the book. The prophet says this, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else. Okay, whenever God starts using language like that, it's usually because there's some competing things going on, some things that are distracting the people of God, and God wants to make it very clear that He wants to be in the midst of His people, right? And that He is the Lord, and there is no one else. You know, what's the first thing that enters your mind when you think of idolatry? For me, it's the children of Israel. It's actually Charlton Heston. Some of you are like, who's Charlton Heston? Google it tonight. Uh, when you get home. But he uh, starred in a movie, I think late 60s, maybe early 70s, I'm not quite sure, but the Exodus, it was um, the whole scene of uh, uh, Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And, and, and when I think of idolatry, I just kind of think of that movie. But my mind quickly goes to the people of God at the base of Sinai, you know, creating for themselves this large golden calf and immediately my, my mind goes, that's idolatry, right? I mean, I don't have any golden calves hanging in, out of my, my house. Therefore, I must not have a problem with idolatry. But that, my friends, is not idolatry. Idolatry is more than worshiping a statue. Let's look to a smarter man than I for his definition. His name is Tim Keller. He writes in a book called Counterfeit Gods. An idol is anything more important uh, to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. Let me read that again because it's brilliant. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. This is Tim Keller's definition, and I feel like it follows suit very closely to what the New Testament teaches us about idolatry. We can easily, friends, make idols out of everyday common affairs in life. You know, after all, in the book of Joel, there is no golden calves. There's, 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 there's none... There, excuse me, there's no images that the people are uh, worshiping. They are just distracted. And in a sense, because of Joel 2.27, we see that their devotion, their covenant to God, they're kind of approaching half-heartedly. If that doesn't look like the church, then I don't know what does. I think it's a great image of where we find the American church today. Half-heartedness. We've kind of just adapted and accepted it as the new norm in our Christian circles and communities. And, and, and this is where I feel like Lent comes to those like me who don't like to fast. It comes into my kind of yearly kind of calendar and just says, like, a, like an ugly stepchild, here I am. Here I am. It, you know, it's like Joel the prophet, consecrate a fast. You know, it just, it's there. And now I have to choose rather I'm going to follow suit and fast. And repent and make my, right my relationship with God or if I'm just going to go on in my half-hearted state doing nothing, concerned about nothing. 
So we can easily, friends, make idols out of everyday, ordinary things. Things that can distract us. Things that take our attention. Things that take our affections away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't help but this thinking about, you know, I know that historically over um, the years, we have always as a community fasted this time of the year. This is actually in 2006 when the Justice House of Prayer was birthed. And it was birthed out of a 40-day fast. But see, we need not to, I think, approach this fast in, in ways that we think we can gain something. You know what I'm saying? We, we need to focus in the old traditional sense of what Lent means. Approaching God with fasting, weeping and mourning, reflecting over the true conditions of our heart and repenting. See, this is what Lent is all about. It's, it, it's actually the days that right lead up to Easter. And in this time of reflection, in this time of repentance, helps us cherish the resurrection. It helps us treat Easter Sunday as if it is something very special, which I, I'll just interject. My, it is special. But you will never be able to lay hold of how special Resurrection Sunday is if you cannot or if you will refuse not to engage or involve yourself with fasting, with weeping, with repentance, with the true traditional sense of what Lent draws us into this time of the year. i tell another story um, about how the ordinary, everyday things can kind of trip us up if we're not careful and uh, can kind of get us serving them rather than serving God. Uh, um, it was probably back in the late 90s, I think, um, where I was part of a, a, a worship band who got to do some pretty cool things. We got to you know, just play in a lot of cool spots. And one of the spots and, and bands that we were able to open with was a band called Delirious. Now, I'm sure many of you do not know who Delirious what is, and that's okay because I'm, you know, I'm 41, I get it, um, and I think like they're 50 going up to 60, <laughs> they're old, so, um, but they were like our Keith Green, you know, it was our generation's uh, like soundtrack, it was our generation's worship band, we love them guys, did you feel the mountains tremble, I could sing of your love forever, all the way through, we just love them, and we got a chance to open for them. And it was like one of those monumental things. Well, part of the privilege of opening for them, we actually got to eat dinner with the band. That was even cooler. So uh, we're all eating in a restaurant in Boston, and, and we're talking to them about life and ministry and God and faith and all these things. And I don't know if anyone knows, uh, not personally, but knows of the man Martin Smith. He's actually the lead singer and probably um, uh, the main contributor to the most of the songs that they wrote, he piped up in the middle of the conversation, and it has stuck with me to this very day. He talked about the trappings, the pitfalls of success. You see, Martin wrote a lot of great songs, and he made a lot of money uh, because of those great songs. That's what happens when you write good songs. It doesn't just happen in the secular world. It can happen in the Christian just as much. So people were consuming his product, and he quickly realized that because of the amount of money he was making personally from the sales of his music, he quickly realized the trappings of success. He felt as though his family could not break free from a materialistic uh, world that they were starting to create for themselves as a result of wealth. And all the while, he's 
talking about essentially the innocence that can be robbed from you. Um, let, me, let, me say that, let me say this a different way. Sometimes the good gifts that God gives us can take away our innocence if we're not careful. You see, everything that Martin uh, scored in his life, every dollar that he racked up for him and his family, was, it, was, it wasn't him just pursuing any kind of career. He was writing worship songs. They were good gifts of God's grace. And he realized in the height of his career that they were becoming idols, like materialism and, and what would kind of like be the aftermath of all that resource. And it stuck with me today in just kind of thinking about how the good gifts of God, God's grace can, if we're not careful, replace the reserved spot of God in our hearts and become idols. It's that great career, right? You know, it's having to work every Sunday because, you know, you just, you got to make the money. You know, it's, it's, it's the social life. Got to have time. Don't have time for prayer, but I got to get time with my friends. It's, it's uh, uh, the academics, you know, like, got to be the best students. I'm all for academics. But if they absorb every ounce of your heart and your attention and your time, it is idolatry. A life of leisure, a marriage, a family, a gym. These things can quickly become idols if we are not careful. And honestly, guys, they are good gifts of God's grace. To have a good family, to have wealth, is a gift from God. But it should not be above God. It should be below God in the order of importance in your life. Do you get what I'm saying? And, and fasting helps us um, come into understanding where does God fit in? Where do we prioritize God? Where do we make space and room? See, I need stuff like this to actually, I'm your pastor. You know, like I pastor this church. I need times and seasons like Lent to kind of help me sit back and take an inventory of my life and say, God, how am I prioritizing you in my life? And so, in this sense, Lent has intervening power. It has intervening power. Here is Joel 2.25. This is what... Let me get a little uh, backdrop here before we get into this verse. Um, essentially, to wake the children of Israel up, um, God had, in chapter 1, sent a plague of uh, locusts to devour uh, the land. And, um, it, it, I mean, words could not describe the devastation that um, these um, locusts had made. And, and uh, God, in, in, in chapter 2, is about ready to relent. He's about ready to pull back his army, if you would, of locusts. And, 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 and this is what he said, I will restore in, in verse 25 of chapter 2, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, uh, my great army. <laughs> so God's clearly identifying himself as the one who has sent these locusts uh, uh, to get the attention of these people. Uh, I, I, we we got we to have a, a, a greater kind of, um, I guess, understanding of who God is. He will go to great lengths, friends. 
He will go to great lengths to get and arrest our attention. Right? And so he has sent this uh, army, and now in chapter 2, he's going to relent if they turn to God. You see, the whole thing about Joel chapter 2 and the whole thing about Lent is kind of returning to God. If you feel off a little bit in your walk, it's most, most likely you are. And so Lent provides, fasting provides us an opportunity to turn back to God and to reprioritize Him in our life. And so God is going to relent. If this may sound to you like it's not God, but God is going to relent if they repent. He's going to pull back his army, his forces, if they will turn to God. We see, God, why am I saying this? Because God doesn't mess around. He wants to be the Lord of your heart. He wants his throne established on the seat of your hearts. And he will go to any measure to make sure that he has that place in your life. And if you're like me and you need a wake-up call, Lent serves a great purpose to wake us out of a stupor, much like it woke up the children of Israel in the book of Joel. You see, they did respond correctly. There was an idolatry problem, and and God's people, excuse me, responded correctly. They turned to God with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and God pulled back his forces and blessed the children of Israel and their land even more so. So that's where we get Joel chapter 2, verse 12. We read it in the beginning. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You know, my hopes for this season of Lent is that the Lord sets us free from nominal Christianity by lovingly inviting us to lay down something through fasting, to gain something. Lent has intervening power. I can't say that enough. It interferes and disrupts the unfruitful patterns and practices in our life. Let me say that again. Lent, again, this is for people who don't like fasting. Lent comes along and it interferes and disturbs the unfruitful patterns that we practice in our life. You see, much like my son, who developed a a unique um, pattern, if you would, an addiction to television. We didn't know how we could kind of break him free. I guess we could force our hands, but... I'm not a type of parent that would force his hand. I'd rather lovingly lead my son through something so that he felt he was doing it, right? So that he felt he was stepping up and say, hey, listen, you know, like, I'm in. But that doesn't always go well, does it? And so Lent comes along and we're like, hey, we're all in this together as a family, Abram. And he signed up. Man, I would like nothing more if our whole church signs up this season to this fast. I know that that probably won't happen. But I'm praying by the grace of God that you will feel compelled as some of the core of this church feels compelled to enter into a season of fasting so that God would come and and reorientate our lives in a way that we once again are making him first. That we we once again are are prioritizing God. That, That we once again are making space for God 
that, 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 we're, that we are entering this season in the traditional sense of Lent and with prayer and with fasting and with repentance and with examination, saying, God, here we are. Search us and know us. I, I don't want to be half-hearted. I'd rather not be a Christian than be a half-hearted Christian. Seriously. If I'm not going to do this thing full bore, I might as well not do it at all. That's a shocking statement, but it's true for me. I didn't sign up uh, to, to follow Christ just to give him a little bit of my life, a little bit of my heart, a little bit of my time, a little bit of my money. I signed up to give him all my heart. Do I struggle? Yes, just as much as anybody else. See, Lent helps us snap, break free from half-heartedness. And say, God, have my heart. Here's the thing about fasting. Nobody's going to force, your, force you into fasting. It's, fasting has always been, even in the scripture, about voluntarily giving yourself to it. It's not, God doesn't like twist, you know, put your arm behind your back and tell you you got to do something. You know, you got to give up something. You have to make the choice to enter in and to find something that you might think in your life has taken the place of God. And for some of us, that might be food. For some of that, it might just be Facebook. For my son, it's going to be the flash, you know. It's whatever you think is actually taking up space, time. I'm not just talking about an hour here and there. It's like, it's like taking up your life. I would say that's a good place to look. That's a good place to start. I want to encourage our church to enter into the season and set, a time, set aside, excuse me, this time to, to lay something down in fasting, to, 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 to give something to the Lord for 40 days. I, I pray that it's just not a small group of us going into this. I pray that even under uh, the, this teaching today, that, that your heart might be provoked, that it might be um, persuaded, even in a sense, to join in with this fast. Let's pray. What an opportunity, Father, lays before us these next 40 days. What an opportunity to give ourselves to you in fasting, in prayer, and in repentance. Father, I pray that every one of us here today would find something to fast, would find something to lay down for 40 days, Lord, that you might take up space in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, that you might fill those hours given to social media, that you might fill those hours given to watching the television, Lord, that you might fill those hours feasting, Lord, with food. God, I'm, I pray, Lord, that we would all enter in, God, and fast the lesser pleasures of this world for the extraordinary pleasures of the gospel. Jesus, lay a hold of our hearts. 
Lead us into this thing as a family. I pray this in your name. Amen.